I think now is time for brand leaders to have the courage to be willing to tear something down that doesn't work. You cannot move forward and you're not going to be able to move forward in this new reality if you have these parts of your business that are fighting each other. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Welcome back to another episode, everybody, of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I am absolutely stoked to introduce our guest to you today, Kelly Ramirez, who is with Prismatic up in Bozeman, Montana. She is the founder and chief growth officer. It is wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you, Kristen. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we um, crossed paths relatively recently, and I'm surprised we haven't known each other before that through an awesome mutual friend. Molly from We Are Unicorns. So shout out. Yes. Thank you, Molly. Yes. (laughs) So great that we were able to connect. And I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. We are um, putting this show together. uh, I think it's the 21st of May. Yes, it is. Thursday of 2020. So I wanted to bring on Kelly because she has a very aligned specialization for specialty brands to understand in terms of how to engage, reach, and convert today's fast evolving consumer as we're going through this pandemic and recession. And so would you start by giving us a bit of background on what you do at Prismatic? And actually before that, let's talk about your background and then why you founded Prismatic. Yeah, for sure. I would say my digital background comes from my time at Google. So I would say that was like my digital learning lab as a place where I really started to learn a lot more about this industry and how to specifically apply it. So I was based out of Google Seattle for about a decade. Prior to that, I did work in the nonprofit sector and social enterprise. I was in conservation. And I also did a stint in a very distant lifetime as an outdoor guide. So um, as a mountain bike guide, a snowboarding instructor, I had the chance to live in Jackson Hole as well as Chile and be involved in that. And then had a chance to start at Google and that really started a whole new path and opened up a lot of opportunities in my career. So during that time, a small team and I managed relationships with our top tier travel advertisers. So these were companies that were spending anywhere from 100 to about 350 million a quarter in their wow. advertising spend on Google. So yeah, they were significant. You did so say was, 350 million. Yes. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that was, was not a typo, an no, audio no, typo. That was, the right, that was the right number. And that was Kristen at this point now six, seven, four to six years ago. So that has continued to accelerate. So their numbers are probably even well beyond that now. But what that allowed me to do was to be incredibly well-aligned and know, work super closely with these companies that 
we're spending at that amount. And also we're digital, what we call now digital native. So they didn't have brick and mortar storefronts. They were specifically relying on digital channels and their websites effectively to drive customer acquisition and revenue growth for them. And so during my time at Google, I had a chance to work alongside our product team who was developing products that would be advertising products for, for companies that invest at that level. And of course, then we're rolled out to everybody who was using Google as an advertising platform. I was aligned in what we would call core. So this was like the profit center of marketing. About a decade ago, we all referred to it as the non-sexy part of marketing. <laughs> and now I think it's something that um, we are all realizing is incredibly important as we grow our brands. A little more sexy now. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm happy to be on like the prettier side of that, I guess. Um, no, so it was a great learning opportunity. Also got to learn a ton about user experience and bringing customers through what we now call a funnel, right? That first touch that you have with a potential customer, what it looks like for them to move through the different touch parts that you have with them. And then ultimately that conversion and then opportunities for follow-up and loyalty. So whether that be email text, which some companies are using now, enrolling them in a loyalty program, but really got an incredible experience over that time there, being close to these rapidly growing businesses and being a a really critical part of that. And what I ultimately wanted to do, so in 2013, I had identical twin girls. So our family expanded and surprise twins. (laughs) Surprise! Thank you. So like many of us that have big life events, I think that prompted me to think about what I wanted our family's life and lifestyle to look like and also the impact that I wanted to have with the knowledge that I had. So I started working towards building what now has become Prismatic. So I wanted to take what I saw work at the scale that I had the opportunity to learn at my time at Google and create a methodology around that, make that accessible for companies that I saw had a great product, or maybe they replaced an industry that was just right for digital transformation. But those companies themselves likely wouldn't have the specific skill set or access to this knowledge in-house. And there were a couple industries that I was really excited to align to, one of them being the outdoor industry, which I know that you're very, very familiar with. The other one being SaaS. So we have a number of different companies that are in the software space. And the third one being travel because of my specific background at Google, but also recognizing that just there was a ton of opportunity for digital transformation in that space. So after Google spent a couple of years working directly with brands, observing the challenges they faced, and then also seeing sort of a little bit more about what was broken with a more traditional agency model. And so so out of all of those things coming together, Prismatic was born. And in launching Prismatic, I wanted to deliver this new model that I knew was, was possible. And in many ways, being able to use that power and that knowledge that I had elements of, and I've continued to build a team around to deliver value for brands that we believe in and that are doing great work out there. So I'm, of course, because I own an agency and it's a very different type of agency, but what was the model that you like wanted to have that you thought might be broken? Because I had the same, I've had that same thought about our industry many times over my last years with Fairday. Yeah, I think from my perspective, both in observing relationships during my time inside of Google with brands that had agencies um, working alongside them and then getting to work in more of a brand direct environment, the, this, tr- this model that I, that I believe is broken is more of a transactional based model. Like 
agencies that deliver a service and kind of chuck a report over the fence that mm-hmm. don't really have a core understanding of the challenge that their client is facing or even the broader perspective of what's happening in the marketplace. And they're pushing on one or two levers, but not really able to bring it all together. And so what I wanted to offer at Prismatic, and I think we've done so to great success in partnership with our clients is this methodology. And I'm for the podcast listeners, I'm making a triangle with my hands because it's, I learned in my high school physics class that this triangle is the strongest shape in nature, but also we, we deploy uh, an approach that has three elements to it. Marketing analytics, user experience and customer acquisition, which is where the paid component of like paid marketing or email marketing comes in. And what I was observing was that there was so much pressure from a traditional agency. And let's say it's a paid marketing agency to pay, to, to bill out their services, incentivize to ad spend, to focus on pressing really hard on paid channels to try to deliver revenue or try to measure revenue. But without these other pieces in place of deeply understanding the user experience and changing that user experience to get a better outcome for conversion or for purchases... And then also having a very deep and accurate look into analytics. So what's actually happening on the site? What channels are working well? How can you measure the effectiveness of your ad spend? It just wasn't standing up correctly. And so this, the methodology that I'm, that I'm talking about is really bringing those three forces together. And then I think the other thing that's unique that we've, we've really followed is bolting on to an internal team. So we empower those teams to learn, to come along with us as we continue to grow their business and and improve the results that they're seeing. And it's really, it was a bit of a leap, right? As starting something. And I think a lot of your listeners probably have an entrepreneurial streak or maybe have even started businesses themselves. You you do take a leap when you move towards something that, that you believe has an opportunity to to make a big difference. And I'm just thrilled that that we've been able to come as far as we have and there's more to be done. So Kelly, we're all in that gap jump right now. Yes. So even the well-established companies, <sighs> we need to have a, a beginner's mind and B, we have to just put our little startup outfit on and like be that for right now. Yes. We be studying because ultimately we are all in the opportunity of reinvention around a moving target. And that's why I'm so, so delighted to have you here today. Number one, I totally totally connect with you on the most fulfilling part of the relationship for us is the relationship with the in-house team. And also just the fact that you've humanized something that I think people have largely seen as like this black box of tech, right? And so you went in and you worked on the inside and now you've come out and, and you are like this gracious, lovely person who's like, my team and I are here to help you with this. And here's our experience. And that's very refreshing. And, and in, I can speak to the outdoor active lifestyle markets. It's a requirement, I think, for a successful agency to have that human approach. I really have to say like hats off to you for seeing that. And now let's help our listeners because you have yes. some great insights, I think, <laughs> around what's happening in mid-May of 2020. So tell us what you're seeing out there. What you just said around like the analytics portion of it and the jockeying of what you do, that's something that I, I feel like a lot of set and forget has happened. Yes. Um, and that's something else that I think 
people need to really have a beginner's mind around is like, just cozy on up to any way you can in terms of watching what you're doing and seeing how it's working and intimately see how your consumer's responding within your category yes. or your competitors, whatever it is. But let, let's just like give some great out lanes out there to our listeners who are just dying to hear like, <laughs> yeah, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and when is this tornado going to stop? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there are a couple things that I definitely want to share. So let's see if we take the digital landscape and like look at all the, the different changes that have happened over time. I mean, there's always algorithm changes, platform changes, things that we need to educate ourselves on. I think now what is both terrifying and incredibly exciting is one of the biggest things that, it, that is the force for change in, in this industry, in the digital landscape is consumer behavior. Mm-hmm. We have come up against this incredibly like maybe largest in our lifetime social phenomenon that's been caused by the COVID pandemic and the impacts of that that are still rippling and will continue to ripple through all different sizes of business communities. More than anything though, I mean, we're seeing the momentum that was being built around e-com and digital accelerated. Some are estimating five or seven years. We're seeing now the e-com behavior and consumer behavior online that was expected to be the case five or seven years from now. So we've really, to your point, jumped a gap. Wow. Um, I thought it was three or four, but I like five to seven. I mean, if we're going to go feels big, like five to go seven, big. right? <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so we're seeing like if we were to compare the Q1, Q1 2020, so that's January through March, and that's the beginning of, of the COVID impact. And it's only accelerated since then. Ecom revenue, total ecom revenue is up. year over year. So we're seeing 54% more revenue come through e-com channels overall, not by specific industry, but overall than this time last year. We know unique digital shoppers are up. People that normally don't or wouldn't shop online were forced to. Mm -hmm. And then we also know that mobile traffic in particular, I think that's been one of the largest, largest bumps that I've seen in the data is that in a, in a matter of weeks and now months, mobile e-com traffic is up by 25%. Previously, we saw mobile orders around 25 to 40%. We're now of total orders. We're now seeing 50, 60, 70% of order share come from mobile. Wow. And what that means for us, we're thinking about consumers, is everybody is processing their experience through that tiny screen, right? And that this is not a story that's new. It's been in, in play for years, but... Again, I think what COVID and this pandemic and the impacts to business has done is really accelerated and pushed us in ways that weren't, weren't as urgent before. That's fascinating. Yeah. I did not hear um, that about mobile. For sure. And I, I think we'll start to see it come down again as people are we're moving into a new phase of people going back into their offices or not necessarily constrained in the way that they were in the first five to seven weeks of this, but behavior is definitely, definitely changing. Particularly in the outdoor active arena, which as I know a number of your listeners are in that category, what we have seen as, as really surging is companies that are able to offer up or talk about more their value or their mission messaging versus pushing that purchase, right? Like not that desperate bye-bye now, but really taking a step back and taking the time to focus on building that community and that, that voice around the value and, and what you offer versus that buy now urgency. But 
I think we will see that continue to transition as people aren't really comfortable walking into a store or don't really want to be in a crowded shopping place. They'd like to do that from the comfort of their own home. And they're looking to brands to deliver on that, to be responsive to what that consumer is asking for. Yep. And the consumers want to join those brands and be part of something. And in some cases, they're counting on those brands to actually be the corporate citizen and create potential support or change that they aren't seeing in their government at all. Oh my gosh. I I, I 100% agree with that. And I think the other thing, Kristen, that I wasn't anticipating that we've seen with our own clients is that I mentioned earlier in the conversation, the level that some of these very large advertisers are spending hundreds of millions, in some cases, billions of dollars. But those brands, they're huge, but they are transactional. They have something to offer that somebody needs to buy from them. That it's really nothing... That is their that is their business model, <laughs> and so when COVID hit, we saw when and if folks are interested in more of the data part of what I'm talking about, there's a really great resource, an agency or a group called Within does a daily publication of digital stats, and this is a great place to see what's happening just across the landscape, not just in outdoor. But Put that in the show notes, everybody. One of the things that, that we saw was that as, as big brands were pulling back, there was really a vacuum and a huge opportunity when Facebook CPMs dropped incredibly and CPMs, basically the metric that, you, that you're understanding the expensive rate of your, like how much your ads will cost, right? If you enter into the auction. And, and we saw small and mid-sized brands that were able to articulate their value and absolutely understand their customer. Just to what you were saying, they had days that well beyond exceeded in revenue Black Friday of previous years. And that has lasted as they continue to connect to their customer and can be really responsive through digital channels. So while I think this time is incredibly intimidating if you're a smaller mid-sized brand, what I do want to remind folks that might be in that category, or maybe you're a bigger brand and you haven't played in this digital space yet, there is space to succeed by putting your customer, putting your customer number one, the value of what you're delivering with your brand number two, and then the way to really connect through these digital platforms and allowing people to do that, to think that people more, more readily now are willing to, to support brands that they believe in. And we're seeing that play out in revenue numbers for sure. It's not just a feel-good statement. Like this is, it's, it's quite impressive to see brands really rally and not only survive at this time, but thrive with the right elements in place. That's wonderful. I love hearing good news. So, right? <laughs> so if we don't have a prismatic working with us on our brand, yeah. what are some of the cornerstone things that are just sort of like table stakes that we should be doing yes. today? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question because I'd love to share. So there's three things that I that I want to share that some people call and and Kristen, you mentioned growth hacking. I really love the term growth engineering because the word hacking, I think, invokes like this silver bullet, where in fact it's really an approach and a whole sort of system that you want to move towards. And in fact, you're not going to do everything in a day. But these, I think, for businesses that are thriving now and those that will continue in our new reality, they're doing these three things. So number one, make data your friend. If you don't have an accounting background, you don't have an engineering background, it doesn't matter. I'm saying that as somebody who studied anthropology in college and I was the Mountbike guide and I really found my way to this universe and this place. And, I, and data is something that we should all be very comfortable with. 
It can be even simple as knowing and having somebody on your team or being comfortable asking questions that you can find by using a free tool like Google Analytics. So how many people are coming to our site on mobile versus desktop? How many people are new customers that haven't been here before or they've been seen on my site and they're a returning customer? What does my customer funnel progression look like on my site? Where am I losing people? And those are all things that can be found in in Google Analytics with a, you know, even a quick search for that. But having a mindset of moving your business and the power that your business has to understand insights through analytics, that is absolutely critical for any business that's going to succeed. So that's not as much of a hack, but it's really, I think, like an approach and an ethos that is going to be critical for any business that's going to get beyond this and just continue to succeed If I were able to share, and maybe I'll try to find this image and share with you, Kristen, there's this analytics value curve that we use when we talk with our partners and our clients. And it will probably feel very familiar. It looks like like an incremental growth curve, like a, a curve going up and to the right. And at the beginning, you start with, OMG, we have a lot of data. Like... I, I don't even know what to do with this. And you move through to a data fortress. And then you've got a lot of information, a lot of numbers, a lot of inbound information coming from email, maybe your website. It's there, but you don't know how to get to it. And then eventually, later on down the line, you get to predictive and even prescriptive analytics models. And that's more advanced, but eventually for brands that will continue to succeed, you are trying to move towards being data-led and have a a core understanding of what are those basic items that you need to understand to make the best decisions in times of crisis or in times when you're doing really well. How do you know when you should be doing more of what works? And that's a question I think we all should be asking ourselves. Absolutely. And it's changing so much. I mean, I've mentioned this a couple of times in panels I've done. I was looking at the first quarter financials for Target for something that I was working on, and I've never seen there's a handful of analysts that I follow that do talk a lot about consumer perception and behavior changes. And they were basically saying we are going week by week right now. So there is no such thing today as set and forget. And there is always a point where you can start and progress from data or anything else you don't know about. You just need to start diving in and not be worried about being perfect. Like every day is progress. It doesn't have to be big progress, but it is the more comfortable you get, the better you can serve your consumer. And that's really the thing that I have been preaching today is Mm -hmm. we cannot serve our points of distribution anymore. We have to serve our consumer because it's go time. There is no way to survive without that. Yes, absolutely. And I think, Kristen, that's like a perfect segue into the point that that we're observing to the second point under this topic is just be human. Mm -hmm. Like we, and, and I think we need to absorb that as business owners and as business leaders that your point, it's not too late to start. Like I think it can sometimes feel frustrating. Like, oh, I don't have a direct to consumer strategy in place. Well, you're going to be there in some element. Start today. What do we have right now? What kind of information do we know? And then on the human, on this human part, what I really want um, what, what, want people to understand and absorb is that this e-commerce world, it's a blend of science and art. It's technology and humanity because at the end of the day, on the other end of the screen, we are the same people online that we are offline. 
Mm-hmm. So think about how you welcome people into your front door of your retail store or how you hope that a large retailer, when they're highlighting your, your product on their floor, will talk to customers. Likely the best salespeople know exactly the type of questions people are going to ask about a ski boot or a backpack or a bicycle. The brands that really succeed in this environment, and, and especially I'll talk about brands that haven't been in here for years, but those that are making headway, they think about their customer first, and then they're also doing what they can to translate their relationship to digital channels. It's not about throwing up a price list on the internet, right? That's not how consumers want to be talked to. But really, I'd encourage you to think through what are your most successful sales channels? What are your most successful communication channels in person? And then look at how you can translate that online. And and what I find to be most exciting about e-com and direct-to-consumer and just tech in general is I think, well, on one hand, it can be intimidating. It's also this incredible platform. It's it's a democratizer. Mm -hmm. Everybody has access. And so let's figure out how to use that to connect rather than disconnect. And the brands that are doing that continue to do exceptionally well. Also, just the whole be human facet is people in times of challenge or crisis are gravitating to story even more. So like putting people in front of your brand and having them do a beginning, middle and end of a story and then repeating that and seeing how it worked with visual content. We're also seeing that as like something that's really helpful. And when they position that person, somebody who really mirrors their target consumer or shopper so the person can actually see it like, oh, that looks like me. I feel like that person. It's super powerful. And people are all kind of a captive, you know, captive to their browsers right now. It's like, and it doesn't have to be like the most well-produced Academy Award winning thing. I mean, it could just be like, start getting used to doing Facebook lives, like start getting used to going out and being live and being with your people and understanding them and showing them like, here's a person just like you being transformed by our product, solve their problems this way. I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot to feel like, oh, I don't know how to do that, but you just have to get out and try and not have it be polished. Yeah. No. And I think that that feels better. I know that feels better to me when I see a brand I'm interested in showing up in an authentic way. And I, we throw the word authentic around a lot, but really what does that mean? It means that you're not, you're not like, putting up on a show, right? You're just, and and I've seen also, there's been some businesses that have been incredibly transparent about the struggles that they're having, not in like, oh, woe is me, but like, hey, this is hard. This is hard for us. This is hard for you. Let's get through this together. And we're going to find new and innovative ways to support you, to connect with you, to be there for you. And I think that that is earning some incredible loyalty through this whole process. And we don't know how long our new process is going to last. So I think like you said, get comfortable with it and it's okay. It'll be a little bit awkward at first, but I think too, as, as you lean into it, it, it gets easier. And also talking about it gets easier. Yeah. I have a question for you around serving brands that might be more nimble than maybe a legacy wholesale brand. So Mm -hmm. if for example, you're coming in to help you pull back the curtain, you sit down, you become the partner, right? And Mm -hmm. with the internal team and you realize, wow, there's a lot in this company that's been built around like legacy channels and there's lots of habits in place. And there are people who have bonuses tied to results Mm. that come from certain channels. Have you worked in a situation like that where you can say like a way that a, a person can own the consumer relationship who maybe 
the whole structure of the company has been built around serving the retail buyer. And there's nothing Mm. wrong with that. We have to continue to do that, of course, to be great partners, especially during this time. But one of the things that we're really hoping that we can support our brand leaders, the people who manage us at Verde, it's the brand leader, the marketing director. And ultimately we're part of their team. And as they're trying to like migrate their way through the, the crisis here, there's, there's the, the channel, sorry, the tracks are not there at all. And yeah. honestly, some of them haven't had a seat at the, at the leadership table that makes the big decisions. And now's the time to get them there, right? Because yeah. they own that consumer relationship. So if you have any words of advice for somebody who might be like, okay, for the first time ever in 119 years, <laughs> we have the opportunity yeah. to change today because somebody yes. rolled a grenade into the living room called COVID-19. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I love that question. And I think that's exactly what we're facing, right? And in fact, one of the things that I was hoping to share today was like, things have been blown up and shifted in ways that we, we probably in our working lifetimes, careers haven't seen it. Even the recession of what was that, 2008, 2009, didn't come close to how this is disrupting our day-to-day life and how our businesses fundamentally function. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an incredible time to really advocate for putting things first. And I think you and I share the perspective that that's always the consumer. So you've you've got to start with where do they want to find us and how do we communicate with them? How do we relate to them and bring them into our community? I think, again, my best friend to point number one is always data. And as marketers, we have such access to a rich treasure trove of data, whether it's our own first party data or even market data, market information about what's happening. And I would say that those people that now do have the seed and have the opportunity to make that case to use that to your advantage, to bring that forward. And then the downside of that might be there are companies who won't survive this, not because they don't have a great product or because they don't have a strong organization or great people there, but because they cannot be nimble enough to weather this storm. And that's because they're ignoring what their customer wants. And I think I've shared with you, there's this incredible... Simon Sinek is, a, is an author. He did a great podcast. It's, people are listening to podcasts. I know they love your podcast. Um, there's one called How I Built This by Guy Raz. Oh, I love and, that uh, one. It's so Such good. Such a good one. Simon Sinek came on, does a very short one about resilience. And We'll put and the this, link in the show notes. Oh, perfect. It's directly related to this question about what do, what do we do from now? But so about resilience and his main point is... From a business perspective, everybody keeps saying that COVID, we're in unprecedented times. These are not unprecedented times. The business world is incredibly familiar with changing market conditions, social conditions that completely change business models. When the the advent of the internet, (laughs) that completely changed and took down companies that were not ready to adapt. And, And some are still being taken out by that with GCPenney. I mean, things are in the news today that they're still sort of suffering because they were not able to pivot. So right now what we're experiencing is sudden, it's jarring, but God, it's an amazing time to revisit what the heck you're doing. If it isn't what's not working and to be brave enough to bring that forward. And then also, again, I would say utilize the data. We know this point has been proven and then Kristen, I think something you mentioned is, well, what about when people's bonuses, when you're, when what you are paid is tied to an old model that 
forgive me for saying that because it's not that the people aren't great or the ideas aren't great. It's that the model is not aligned to what your consumers need. Right. And so there are some, I say, be creative. One of the things that we did for a client that fits your description, they weren't 120 years old, but um, very, (laughs) very established, very, very established outdoor company who for a very, very long time for the entirety of their existence had survived and grown through direct relationships with small specialty shops. And and that was a point of pride and it should be, and it continues to be. But what we were able to help them do was not pit direct-to-consumer against wholesale, but actually utilize data that was pulled from their own website, direct-to-consumer sales, and data that was pulled from sales in their specialty retail shops. And essentially what we did was we, we did a heat map and we showed the areas of growth for direct-to-consumer and the areas of growth for specialty retail. And more often than not, they weren't counter to each other. So the areas where they didn't have a presence in a small, small specialty retail shop or it was in LA, for example. The flyover country. <laughs> impossible for yeah. somebody to get across town. Direct-to-consumer was an incredibly powerful tool. There's other companies. I think it might be Giant Bicycles. And you might have to edit this out if I say it incorrectly, but there's a bicycle company who compensates their specialty retail shop based on a purchase made within a specific radius of a zip code where their specialty shop I think that's Trek. Trek. Yep. I don't know. Giant that's- might be doing that too, but Trek introduced that a couple of years ago. And instead of getting Keystone, they get 20%. So that basically they're like, Hey, our website brings it millions of people. Some of them live in your region. And then everybody's like, tell me more. And so <laughs> the Trek dealers are getting leads from Trek.com and they can't, from what I understand, they can't sell what's floored. They have to pull from Trek's inventory because Trek still okay. needs them to do pre seasons to build the product. And so it, I'm sense. wondering now how that's evolved, but that was the initial, and that was a big shot across the bow. Like once Trek did that, then Specialized started to do that. Like Mm, it really kind of changed everything. And that was years and years ago now. So I'm super curious to see like what's happening now. I mean, we're having an absolute just street fight in bike. You would not believe, maybe you would, like I can't believe what I'm seeing in terms of like the sales happening in bike right now. It's crazy. Yeah, no. and, And I think there will, right? Especially like bringing it back to outdoor, I think there are a lot of people that felt like outdoor recreation was either out of reach, they didn't have time for it, they couldn't afford it, they weren't in the demographic. The industry has struggled with opening up and allowing more people to access some specific parts of of the industry. But there are so many more people walking and biking and being outside and recognizing the, the benefits to that. And gosh, if there's a time to position your business to connect with consumers in that way... That's really exciting. But yeah, those, those kind of two examples. And I w- if anybody of your audience knows how that is going with the, the Trek model, let's call it the Trek model now, I'd be really curious because I think it will continue to be something not to, to pit against each other, but the smart business owners and smart leaders will figure out how to sort of turn that on its head and align all forces to head in the same direction. The consumer is a lever. Right. So the the consumer does not care about the channel. That's really the takeaway there. So it's everybody working together, which thankfully I think collaboration is a human tendency through things like pandemics. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, but I have seen a lot of brands collaborate who maybe were formerly quote competitive around you know, yes. personal protective equipment, for example, like there's a lot of alignment happening. Maybe we can actually align around serving the consumer. Now tell me this. I've, I've talked with a bunch of Amazon specialists over the past three years, marketing specialists. Mm. So there's three things that I wanted to ask you, and they're all related to one question really. But when a store, a brick and mortar store is open in a city and there's an Amazon presence online, there's a lift in Amazon sales and there's a lift in the brick and mortar store. And that to me feels like kind of what you're talking about, I think. Yeah. Like maybe the consumer needs eight to 10 touch points, which we know because humans have an eight second attention span, which is amazing and true, smaller than a goldfish. But they have to see this touch point eight or nine or 10 times. And maybe when they, they're using over 65, I think it's much higher than that. But that's where product searches start on Amazon. Then yeah. boom, they're like, oh, wait, that's in my neighborhood. There is a connection between that browser and that physical space. And, and a lot of brands actually have set their teams up internally, their e-com and their wholesale teams to compete against each other, which is a huge mistake. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so right. it's almost like start at home. <laughs> well, God, I love that example because too, and I'll, from my background, what we see is with dedicated digital advertising spend, like if we increase spend for a brand on digital specifically, I've seen this the most on Facebook. So let's say paid social, Facebook spend, we increase it and we're going for prospecting audiences. So we're trying to connect with people that have never been to our website before. We will see a, an incremental lift in brand queries on Google. And that's like the counterpart of what, what you're saying is that historically it's been like, well, we need to pay for clicks. No, it's organic clicks. No, it's pay. No, it's organic. No, it's everything. Your brand, again, we are the same people online as offline. Your brand is the same brand, whether somebody finds you on Amazon, goes direct to consumer or goes into REI or a retail shop around their block and, and goes to purchase. And so I think there's different value to those channels. They're not all valued the same. And you also have different opportunity to tell your story in different ways. But again, the consumer is looking for the thing that is most efficient and most convenient and feels best for them. And if you can allow your direct-to-consumer experience or your website experience to be frictionless, and that actually is what I recommend. That's, that's like the, that's a gold standard. That's what you, that's what you want to aspire to. Mm -hmm. that's going to help you. If you have presence on Amazon, you choose to use that channel, that will help you. It, it all comes with some pros and cons and trade-offs that you have to understand. I think now is time for brand leaders to have the courage to be willing to tear something down that doesn't work. You cannot move forward and you're not going to be able to move forward in this new reality if you have these parts of your business that are fighting each other. And it's new and it's different and it's uncomfortable, but it is surmountable and it is possible to move in that direction. And I think it's time to break down this black box theory around technology or direct to consumer and recognize that technology is the ultimate democratizer. We can all be there and we all are there. Your consumers are there. <laughs> and so, so you should be as well. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else that I should bring up to our audience? Because it's such a special opportunity to have somebody who is so accessible. I mean, you literally yeah. are just so easy to talk to. You make it feel possible. Oh, Kristen, you're a sweetheart. <laughs> this is so fun. I mean it. Come <laughs> hang out with me in Bozeman. I will. Let's all go. Um, all of us. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait, wait. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. 
Uh, Bozeman is a, is a wonderful place to be. Yeah. So I think the the last part, and I'll tie together the first one, which is make data your friend. The second one of be human at all costs. The third one is be nimble and be willing to be what I call a pack mule or a workhorse. And and not to make it sound unappealing, but really, I think the the opportunity here is to combine together and and take action against the information that you're seeing. I say pack fuel or workhorse because so often in like tech, right? Everybody's thinking like, oh, this unicorn, it's, it's going to be like this billion dollar idea. It's all going to be like either a huge success or a total failure. And that's not what it is. Um, it's about taking information, look at what your consumers are doing and constantly adjusting. If you keep those two things front and center and make constant changes over time, I used to kind of joke when we first got started that I felt like a personal trainer some days because all the stuff that we're talking about, it's incremental change to a business. You have to stay focused and you have to keep your two priorities of very visible data and your customer experience always at the forefront. But the beautiful thing about digital is that we can experiment, we can learn, we can quickly put into practice what we learn literally within minutes or hours or days, not years of a, of a development cycle. <laughs> Amen. And if you've got the right infrastructure and the methodology there, and that's what we're talking about today, you can measure and you can improve on the outcomes that you're seeing come in. So it's incredibly powerful and it's not powerful for just a few people. This is all accessible for brands that are willing to take steps in this direction. Awesome. That is a perfect place for us to finish. And I Mm. just can't thank you enough. This was not only fun, but it was relaxing. (laughs) Oh, that's Yes. It's like, okay. Like it it makes it feel possible. (laughs) Good. I'm happy to hear that. That's what we aspire to do. So I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. And and thank you for having me. And I, I just have loved the way that, that you're thinking about this and the brands that you work with and get to listen to are so fortunate. So thanks for including me today. Oh, are you kidding? I'm totally going to drag you back in at every opportunity <laughs> I can. So thank you. And uh, more to come, everybody. But we'll have show notes with all these links. And tell us where my amazing audience can find out more about your incredible company. www.welcometoprismatic.com Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advanced notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings Thanks for listening and see you next week.